Open your Bibles up this morning. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to continue moving through the study of the armor of God to stand firm against the schemes of the enemy, against the schemes of the devil, as we are looking at closing out our study of the book of Ephesians as a whole. We've covered different parts of the armor already. We've been down this road. Hopefully, they'll bring some memory back to us as, we, as I just recall those things. We should stand, Paul said, with the belt of truth fastened on. We should stand with the breastplate of righteousness. We should stand having shoes that are on our feet, the shoes of uh, the gospel of peace. We should stand with the shield of faith that we're holding. And we should stand now this morning as we come to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. We're going to look at the very first uh, half of that verse. We should stand firm. He says we should take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. It is my prayer, uh, as most of my sermons uh, do this kind of thing. There's lots of scripture this morning. It's all on the backside of your handout or backside of your bulletin. There's a handout there. If you want to follow along in that way, or if you want to listen, or if you want to flip pages, or if you just, uh, however it works best for you to be able to pay attention and let it soak in, my prayer is, as it always is, is uh, there's, of course, some words that I say, sometimes too many of them, but it's the word of God that I preach as I, uh, as I bring them out. It's my prayer that those are the words that will have an effect on your brain and on your heart and on your life this morning. There is, and I've said this before, there is not a way that I can go through and make every application of the words I'm reading from God's word into your life this morning, but I am 100% confident I am... I am full of every bit of confidence that the Holy Spirit is, in fact, and does, in fact, do exactly that. As you sit there, if you're ready and willing to receive it, he will make every application that you allow him to make. He'll make the applications. The question is whether you will listen, whether you will submit, whether you will yield. And it has much to do, I think, with what we're going to talk about this morning. Paul now has come to the helmet of salvation. He's come to the piece of armor that is protecting our brains. And if you stop and think for a moment about our brains, our brains are this incredible organ inside of us. And I'm not a medical guy. I don't have all kinds of scientific information, so this is not, I don't come from that, from that perspective at all. But our brains are this incredible organ inside of us that, that receives and processes and manages all kinds of information all the time. In fact, I'm guessing, if you don't already know this, is doing it far more than you're aware of. Your brain is processing a lot more than you even are aware of. And your brain is the great control center, if I could use that word, of your body, right? It's telling your muscles all kinds of things. It's telling your other organs all kinds of things. It's taking all kinds of input. It's saying, I'm categorizing, I'm working through it, and then I'm, it's spitting out all kinds of stuff to you. And it's doing that all like simultaneously, all like, again, at a far faster or greater rate than you're aware of. There are, at this point in your body, and this is not a scientific thing, so don't like, but at this point in your body, there are a lot more things going on than you're probably thinking of. It's why you're able to sit there and breathe and listen and see and think and smell and do all kinds of other things that you're all doing all at the same time. It's why you're able to think of something else while you're listening to me. It's okay. I think it's one of the greatest gifts God gave us, by the way, is to be able to multitask. I really mean that. I think... 
and if you ever had discipleship with me, you know that I say these kind of things, but I think it's the very function God gave to us to be honored his word that says we can pray without ceasing. Because did you know, if you actually work on controlling and channeling that multitasking, you can be praying back here all the time to your heavenly father while you're doing all kinds of stuff right here. And you ought to be. It's so that you can be asking him to give you uh, the ability to respond how you're supposed to, and that your face should look like it's supposed to look, and that the attitude coming out of you should be what it's supposed to be, responding to all this input that's coming this way while you're having a conversation with him back here. I think multitasking in our brains is one of the incredible gifts that God gave us. So I don't tell you to stop doing those things. I tell you to put them under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Well, that's where our message is headed, the helmet of salvation. Let's talk about the helmet. We're going to jump in here. The helmet, as I always do, I kind of bring you a Greek word. It's the word. And Paul uses words for a reason, right? So the Greek word for helmet this is a fun word to say. It's parakephalia. If you want to practice saying that word in front of the mirror at home, you can do that. It's not all that great, actually. But parakephalia, I, mean, I didn't actually try it. Don't, don't, anyway. Anyway, parakephalia means encirclement of the head. It literally means something that goes around your head. The word peri is around and the word kephale is your head, like physically your head. Parakephalia is the helmet. It's the thing that goes around your head. Makes a lot of sense so far. It's actually used one other time in the entire New Testament. I don't know if you like stuff like this or not, but I'm terribly intrigued with these kind of things. Like when a word is used, where else is it used? How else is it used? What else does it tell us about that? One other time, and you'll see a lot, of, a lot of overlap right away. It's Paul that uses that word in 1 Thessalonians 5.8. He says, but since we... As believers, and notice, we're supposed to walk as children of light. That's the title of this entire series. We belong to the day. Paul loves this theme. Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, he adds an extra word in there, doesn't he? He said in Ephesians here, we should take the helmet of salvation. In Thessalonians, he wrote to them that you should put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet. This thing that goes over your brain, over your head, that protects your head, you should have the hope of salvation. The, the, the thing, the anchor that you're anchoring yourself to, uh, that, that's tying you and it's keeping you and helping you respond the correct way to all these stimuli that are coming into your brain. I think those things all fit together, by the way. There's all kinds of things. You can't stop your brain from thinking. Did you know that? You can't stop your brain from operating. It's doing it all the time. Even when we use these phrases that we probably ought not to use, like vegging out and doing all those things, you're still receiving a... All kinds of hundreds, maybe thousands of stimuli all the time, and your brain is doing stuff with it. It's just what happens. We should put on as a helmet, as a protection against all the things that are happening inside of here and all the ways we're processing that, we should put on the hope of what we have, the outcome of what we're hoping for, salvation. And I want to talk about salvation a bit because as we've gone through, I mean, we all fairly well understand salvation. To be saved means to be rescued. The word actually means to be defended, which is funny because our whole text here is that we should stand firm against the schemes of the devil. It's a defense, right? We're to be defended. And here we're talking about the, hel the, 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 the helmet of defense that we have. But again, we're not talking about physical kinds of things. We're not wearing helmets around because that somehow blocks out what Satan is doing, right? Last week we talked about the fact that the fiery darts of the enemy are temptation. That's what I proposed to you. It's temptations. And guess where the battle of temptation is fought? Right up here. 
Once again, I can't help but see the irony, but I was going to say the phrase, did you ever think about that? And we're talking, anyway, maybe you don't see that as funny and ironic, but I do. Did you ever think about that? The battle of temptation is fought right here. When you begin to think things that are not true, you begin to act as if they were. That's called walking into sin because you're believing something here that isn't true. And that battle is happening here all the time. All kinds of thoughts about what that person really meant by that or what they're really thinking or what I really should be doing or what, what, where I really fit in or what really true is the, what's really true about me or whether I should, all kinds of things that we are thinking about and processing and the, the temptation is there. I'm supposing you could think this through and disagree with me. But if you were to keep track of the times that you sin in your life and to track that backwards as to where that began, I can almost definitively assure you it began with you thinking something about how it would be nice to do that or to participate in that or to get that or how it would be nice to stop having this happening or whatever it may be. And if that's allowed to stay there, that's the battle of temptation we're talking about. So the helmet of salvation is to do something for us, and it's not a physical helmet. Once again, as we talk about all these things, we are talking about Jesus. Jesus is our defense. Now, you all know this because you've been in church before, so we say Jesus is our Savior, but I want to just demonstrate it to you again. I think we should take every opportunity we have to just allow the truth of God's Word to point out even some of the most basic elementary things about our faith to us, to remind us. Because there's all kinds of things going on up here. There's all kinds of whispers Satan says. He says, did God really say? Right? And we begin to think about that. Well, did God actually say that? Is that actually how it is? So Isaiah looked forward to Jesus, and he used these words. And these should sound really familiar because we've been actually talking about numbers of these things as we go through the armor of God. I think it's no accident that the Holy Spirit told Paul how to write these things. Isaiah prophesied long before Jesus was on the scene. He said, when God is going to work uh, the saving of Israel, of his people, he's going to send his servant, and his servant, he, will put on righteousness as a breastplate, we've read about that, and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garment of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Now, when Jesus showed up, we get the same kinds of languages. We get the confirmation from those who saw Jesus as he was born, as he was in ministry, as he lived and died. We get the same, we get this confirmation that this is in fact, Jesus is in fact the fulfillment of what Isaiah said here. For example, when Jesus is an itty bitty baby and they have him in the temple and this man came, named Simeon walks up and guess what he says? This is from, uh, this, I'm taking this from Luke chapter 2 verse 30. He says, now I can depart in peace. Why? For my eyes have seen your salvation, God. I've seen, and he was not, he was not talking about, he was not looking at some kind of plan. He was not looking at some kind of like three-step way to save us or some kind of like new technique of what, he was looking at a baby, at a person. Now I have seen when John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus to come into ministry and he talked about what he was doing, he says that I'm preparing the way, I'm, I'm filling up low places, I'm tearing down high places, I'm making a straight path so that all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And once again, he was preparing a way, not for some new program or for some new uh, try-it-yourself-at-home kind of thing for 30 days and you'll see how great it works. He was preparing the way for a person, for Jesus to come. 
when Peter reflected back on Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, and he stood boldly in front of those who opposed and actually killed Jesus and were now opposing him, he says these very definitive words in Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no other name. There's salvation in no one else. I'll just read it so I get it right. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We're referring to a person. When the writer of Hebrews looked back and tried to put it all together, and it's an incredibly dense letter filled with step-by-step, we're going to walk through and prove to you that Jesus is the Christ. Among one of those points he makes in Hebrews chapter 5, 8, 9, he says, although he, although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through, uh, through what he suffered. And being made perfect through that suffering, being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. I'm telling you what I've been doing for you, whether you know it or not, what I've been doing for you is I've been telling you what this helmet is, the hope of salvation that you have, is that Isaiah talked about it long before it ever happened. Simeon, a man of God, looked at this baby and said, this is it. John the Baptist said, I'm preparing the way. He's the one. Peter looked back at life and death and said, that's the name. There's no other person. There's no other name given to any of us by which we have any hope at all. And the writer of Hebrews tied it all together and said, after he learned obedience through suffering, he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. There it is. The helmet of salvation, friends, is Jesus. The knowledge of what Jesus has done for us is what helps us say no to those temptations. Let me say that again so it gets through to my head and to your head. The knowledge of what Jesus has done for us is what gets us to say no to temptation. When we understand the depths of what Jesus did, this helmet of salvation that we have to wrap around, but I want to keep talking about because there's another key word that I think is really important for us to get this morning. You see, well, let me just put the point up here. We are to take the helmet. That's what I read in verse 17. We are to take the helmet of salvation. And if you were to not have access or be able to look at the words that were written originally when these writers wrote these things down, you would look back and look at verse, uh, let's see, verse 13, and it says, take up the whole armor of God. Or you were to look at verse, is it uh, 16? In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. And you would think probably that it's the same word that we take the helmet of salvation. That's a very concrete definitive. It's the, the Greek word is lambano, but it's, the, it's a very definitive like we're taking it up. The problem is in this verse, in verse 17, the word take is not that same word. It's this word instead. You don't need to know the word. It's the word dekamai. Dekamai means to receive. It means to receive. I want you, if you're a visual kind of person, I want you to see this because thus far, Paul has been giving some fairly direct statements. You should take up the whole armor. You should put it on. You should take up the shield of faith. Like you should grab it and hold it in front of you so that you can extinguish all the flaming darts, the fiery darts of the enemy. But here he says, you should receive the helmet of salvation. Why does he, why does he change his word? Why does he say, walk over there, it's there, pick it up, put it on your head? Why does he change that? Indicative of the eternal salvation that Jesus brought to us, I think, is the proof of it or the point of it is salvation is there for all mankind. When Jesus died, he paid for the sins of all mankind. 
But if you want to experience that forgiveness, if you want to have that salvation, you and I must receive what he has done. There's a reception involved, right? This morning in our Sunday school class, I think it was uh, uh, you, Brandon, that pointed out the fact that when you read all these fantastic stories of God's intervention, there's always, this is a bit of my paraphrase, so if I don't get it quite right, forgive me, but there's always this step of obedience that was required. I mean, God does all kinds of fantastic things, but there's some kind of step that's necessary to be able to walk into that. And I would suggest to us that the story of salvation is the same. I mean, it's, it's God's work. Please understand me. It's completely God's work. I've said this all the time. Of, we bring nothing to the table, right? We're not saved because of what we're doing or not doing. But there's some kind of step that we must take to receive that which God has done so wonderfully through Jesus Christ. Now, I'd like to just, like, dig in a little bit more there because I happen to think there's even a stronger connection about what Paul is suggesting to us when he says we should take up the helmet of salvation. We should receive it. We should receive it. You see, the, the word, uh, go back, I mean, or think back to the word parakephalia, which I used. It means the para is around and kephalia is your head. You know, the word kephalia is actually used quite a bit in the scriptures. And it does, of course, many times refer to, like, your physical head. But do you know lots of times when the word kephale shows up in the New Testament, it's not referring to a physical head. It's referring to the word headship. Do you understand what I mean when I say that? It's referring to authority. Headship. Now, think of what that means when it says you should receive the helmet of salvation. There's a surrendering that has to take place to get there, isn't there? There's a coin, one side of which is the Savior, Jesus, and the other side of which is the Lord, Jesus. And you can't separate them. You can't say, I want you to save me, Jesus. I want you to take me to heaven to live forever, but I refuse to give you authority of my life. You can't say that. I mean, you can try, and plenty of us live in the delusion half the time in our lives that that's where we're at, but it's not possible, actually. So there's a, there's a surrendering that happens, and it happens here, friends. It happens when our minds submit to that I desperately need something that I cannot do for myself, and God did through Jesus, and it seems foolish, right? Because the cross is foolishness, except to those who are being saved. It's the power of God. To understand, to yield my mind, to say, is this really the path that you took, God, to do this wonderful thing, and to say, I submit to that, I change my mind. I agree, that's, that's repentance, by the way, metanoia, to change my mind. I change my mind. I'm a sinner. I'm a mess. You are perfect. What you did through Jesus is exactly what I need. It's the only hope I have, and that is my hope of salvation. It's a surrendering. It's a yielding. I think that's a lot why Paul says the word dekamai instead of taking it up, because there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a yielding that has to happen. By the way, I also say that because Paul used some of those similar kinds of phrasing. Remember this powerful place in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 when he declares to us that the weapons we have, they're not, they're not carnal weapons, they're spiritual weapons. They tear down strongholds, right? And then what does he say? We destroy arguments. What's an argument? It's when I think I know different than you, right? Did you catch what I just used? It's when I think I know different than you. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion. Where do we hold our opinions in? Right there, right? 
It's what I think. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that's raised up against the, man, it's all over this place. Raised up against the knowledge of God, of what I know to be true about God. Every argument I want to make that I think is, is different than what, who God really is, and every opinion I might have about how God should operate, we destroy those arguments and opinions and take every thought captive to Christ. I, if you want to reinterpret that last phrase, it is our minds are submitted to Jesus. We are receiving the helmet of salvation. If salvation is a person, it's Jesus, and we're putting that on our head to protect our brain, then we are submitting to Jesus. That's what we're doing. And when we don't do that, that is when we get in trouble. That is when we open the door to the temptations of the enemy. That is when we begin to think things that are not true about God and how he has to operate and what he owes me or what I bring to the table or what this person did to me and what right that gives me to do back to them. Or fill in the blank, doesn't matter what I can engage in, all kinds of stuff that I begin to think wrong because my mind is not submitted. As we think about what Jesus did for us, there's a tension that we are held in, by the way, and I hope you can see this. Paul reflects it very clearly when he writes his letter to the Galatians. In Galatians chapter 5, let me show you both endpoints, if I can use that, that phrase, both endpoints of this tension. And I hope you're okay with these, living in these kind of tensions. We're going to get to a little bit more tension than we get held in at the end of the message here real quickly. But in Galatians 5.1, Paul says this. Now pay attention. Paul says, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Realize, think, change how you think because you're no longer a slave. You are set free. I'm telling you, plenty of us operate as if we're still slaves. We still think of ourselves that way. We still think of ourselves as in bondage. But for freedom, we have been set free. We should stand from that and not allow ourselves to be put under a yoke of slavery. Get this, though. Just... 12 verses later in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says this. There's the other end point. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Right? You see those two things held over here? One is, hey, you are free. You are free in Christ. You should think about yourself that way. You should see that you don't, you, you don't, you don't, get, you don't have to answer to people. Like, you, you're, you're set free from bondage. You're set free from Satan. You're set free from sin. You are redeemed. At the same time, you should see, I'm totally free, but I'm actually not free to do what I want to do. Right? That's not what biblical freedom is. Biblical freedom is not getting to do what I want to do. Biblical freedom is now I'm free to do what God created me to do. I'm submitted to Christ still. And when I'm submitted to Christ, guess what happens? Through love, I serve the people around me. You see, we get this confused all the time, right? We understand freedom in Christ, and when somebody wants us to do something, and we're like, no, I don't have to answer to you. I don't live in fear of man. Or we have the opposite, where we think, oh, they said this, and they're going to think this about me, so I, I, have, to, I, have, to, like, I have to yield to that. You see, how we've, I've just played both, both of their sides. And God asks us to walk in that tension to say, you realize that you are free. You're not to submit. Your, you think of yourself as a free person. However, don't, that's not a license for you to do what you want to do. You're still submitted. If you have the helmet of salvation on, you're submitted to Jesus. 
we are to take up, and maybe that didn't make a whole lot of sense. I hope, it was, I hope the Holy Spirit can clarify what is lacking in there. But those are the tensions we live with. And I want to talk about not taking up, but receiving the helmet. And I, want to, I should put the whole phrase up there. We want to receive the helmet of salvation. And I thought it might be helpful today to simply talk about how I see salvation written about in Scripture and help that, have that illuminate to us what uh, maybe flesh out what it looks like to put on the helmet of salvation, to submit our minds to Christ, to be yielded to him, to allow him to dictate how we think about ourselves, about God, about other people, about what we're supposed to do, about what we're not supposed to do, all kinds of things. I want us to see this morning that salvation is an immediate thing. Salvation is an immediate thing. It's upon the repentance of sin and confession of faith in Christ. The Bible's very clear. In fact, it can get no more direct than the verses that I'm going to put on the screen here. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Very clear. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You'll be saved. With the heart one believes and with the mouth, and is justified, sorry, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Just a few verses later, it says, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. I want you to know this morning, brothers and sisters, that salvation, according to Scripture, is immediate. The moment you in your heart believe that God sent Jesus to do for you what nobody else could do, nothing that you yourself can't do, that you are forgiven and redeemed by what Jesus did on the cross, and that your mouth will confess that, that you will say, Jesus is my Lord. He's my boss. Remember the the coin two sides? I want the salvation, which I'm going to give Jesus authority in my life. That's what that means. Jesus is my boss, if, you're, if you want it just in plain language. The moment you do that, salvation has come to you. Can I just say this? Like, if that hasn't happened for you, now would be a great time. There's nothing, if, I, if, if you believe what I'm saying about the immediacy, now would be an excellent time to say, God, I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins and you brought him back out of the grave. And because of that, I can stand right before you and spend eternity with you. And I want you to be my boss, Jesus. Can we just pray? God, thank you so much for what you've done through Jesus. And today, if there's anybody at all, young, old, in between, don't care what shape, what size, what age. If there's anybody within earshot of these words, these voices, this scripture this morning, would you help reveal and give them an understanding of what you've done for them through Jesus Christ and the immediacy of salvation? That today they can walk out of this building knowing that they are right with you. If they walk into Jesus, if they receive Jesus. If they, today they can pick up this helmet that we've been talking about the whole morning. I pray this morning, God, that if there's those that are here, that even while I'm praying now, that that would be the transaction, that they would look to you and say exactly the words I just said. God, I believe that you sent Jesus, that he died and he rose again, that by that sacrifice, he has forgiven my sins, and I receive not only that salvation, but I receive him as my Lord. And it's shocking, God. It's shocking how willing we are sometimes to just sort of sweep by one of the most amazing things that we could ever even conceive of in our brains that you would do for us, that we might be saved 
through Jesus. Thank you. Jesus, we magnify your name. We lift you high. You are the king. We pray in your name. Amen. Can I say this yet as well? If you were, happened to be in that position, which praise God, if that was you this morning, if you were in that position, I would really, 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 really encourage you to make sure you finish or, 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 or that you honor this verse by telling someone that it comes out of your mouth, right? That I asked Jesus to be my boss today. Come talk to me after the service. Talk to your parent if your parents are here. Talk to someone you trust. And uh, we will, I can guarantee you, we will, I mean, I was gonna say jump up and down and shout, but maybe I can't say that for all of you guys, but. I want you to see this morning, however, as we look at the way salvation is referred to in scripture, of course it is immediate. I just made that point and I hope you can receive that. But I also believe, crazily enough, strangely enough, and in some way that might feel like it's disagreeing with what I just said, Salvation is ongoing. It shows up in the deliverance of sin as we walk our lives. You remember Paul said these words in Romans chapter seven, I think it's around verse 18 or so. He says this like, I want to do what's right, but I don't have the capacity to carry that out. I'm in this battle all the time. Like, I wanna do what's right, but I can't even, I can't even do that. I can't even walk right before God. What a wretch I am, Right? Salvation is an ongoing process. Now, I'm guessing the theologians among us would say, well, Merlin, you just talked about justification to start with, and now you're talking about sanctification. Be that as it may, it's probably true. But scripture calls salvation an ongoing thing. Let me show you what I mean. In second, I'm gonna flip there because I wanna read a couple verses more than what I'm gonna put on the screen. In 2 Timothy, as Paul gives these instructions to this young man, Timothy, he says these words, 2 Timothy chapter three, Verse 14, he says, but as for you, Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ, through faith in Christ Jesus. I should, there's a period there. You notice he has this, this aspect of like continue, keep on going. Now there's something else that these verses tell you, which I could spend a lot more time than I'm going to this morning, is that this ongoing work of salvation has a lot to do with the word of God, has a lot to do with our minds being, remember it's a battle up here, having our minds being transformed and changed by what God's word says to us because that's what helps us understand who God is. Even at my age and at my years of walking with the Lord, there's still times when I read God's word and there's things that click in place and I think, I've never thought about it that way. It actually happened in Sunday school this morning. And I think, I change how I think. I change, I didn't see that before. And it changes how I think, which begins to change, of course, how I act. Continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed. In other words, you started here with this belief. You received salvation, but continue it. You know, Paul, when he wrote to the Philippians, same theme of continuing. Excuse me. He says this to them. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, is Paul talking about getting saved? Is Paul talking about justification? Is he saying you should work out so that you can make yourself right with God? Is that what he's saying? Please say no. I hope you've been in church long enough. Please say no, that's not true. He's not talking about that. So why does he say this? 
You should continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And he picks up the same thing he himself talked about in himself. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Even as you do that, you're not able to, but you should attempt so. He's referring to the ongoing work of salvation that happens in your life. The ongoing revelation in your head of what God has done for you and what God wants from you from his word and all those things that help you to say, I don't do that anymore. I used to. When I was a child, I thought like a child. Paul says that, right? I acted like a child. But now that I've grown, I don't do those things because my mind has been changed. I've received the helmet of salvation and there's an ongoing salvation effect in my life. By the way, just to kind of finish this off, Paul said just a couple chapters later in Philippians, as he was thinking about this and he's helping us to see it's in our head, how this ongoing salvation works out, he says this, which is very familiar to us, but again, look at the words carefully. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything at all worthy of praise, what does it say? What does it say? Think about those things. Do you think there's a connection there between the working out of your salvation with fear and trembling, what God is willing to do inside of you, and the things you are thinking about? The helmet of salvation. Put on that helmet. Receive that helmet. Allow, submit to Jesus so that he can put the helmet on you and protect you. Think about what you are thinking about. Okay, let me keep on going. I gotta wrap this up. If I didn't already disagree with myself enough about salvation being immediate and salvation being ongoing, I'm going to propose to you that salvation is actually future as well. It's all of these things at once, by the way. It's future as well. It's a rescue from God's wrath at judgment. Now, you may argue with me and say that actually happened with number one. The only reason I have it this way is because I came across some verses which seem to indicate that the writers of Scripture didn't think that. For example, the writer of Hebrews says, just as it is appointed for men to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Or you might look at Paul's letter to the Romans and he says, besides this, friends, you know the time, you know the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. He's not talking about justification. He's not talking about that moment when we get saved because we've confessed Christ, right? He's not saying that's near. To, what is he referring to? What does he mean when he says salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed? What? He's referring to the second coming of Jesus Christ. He says, wake up, people. It's about to happen. It's a lot closer than you think it is. Even a literal reading of those words, listen carefully, Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Like you're saved. Immediate salvation. You're in the process of this ongoing sanctification kind of salvation work. But listen, stay awake. Stay alert for the salvation that you're really looking for. Down the road, this, the rescue from the great wrath of God, the, 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 the saving that you're really after, it's a lot closer than you think it is. Pay attention. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, I think represent all three of these. If you look into it, they represent all three of these ways of referring to salvation. Let me read it for you this morning from the book of Titus. 
Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says this, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Right? So that just sets the groundwork. It's bringing salvation for all people. Then notice what he says. It's training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. I think that's referring to the ongoing salvation that I just talked to you about. But listen to what he says next. We're doing that while we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's referring to the future salvation that's coming. I think they're present, all three of them. I think it's a tension we live in. I think it's a reality we have to wrestle with. It's why we cannot ever say, well, I received Jesus. I'm sitting on my haunches the rest of time and waiting for him. Or why we cannot say, well, I think I believed once, but I got to keep on really making sure of what I do keeps me. To no, you were saved, right? You can come at it from all kinds of angles. I believe it'd be wrong of us to simply say, well, someday Jesus is coming. That's when I'm really going to be saved. Right now, I'm just left in this poor mess of a body that keeps messing up all the time, and I just can't do anything about it. That would be a mistake, too. That would be misunderstanding salvation, misunderstanding the helmet of salvation, the new thought processes that God gives you through Jesus Christ. Peter makes this conclusion as he opens his letter which I love the opening of 1 Peter. It's an amazing reminder of what God has in store. Blessed be the Lord Jesus Christ, who's, I mean, it's amazing. You go read it, but as he closes that opening line, opening section, he says this. Therefore, preparing your, oh man, look at this. Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the anchor you and I have. It's my great pleasure to tell you when you've confessed Christ and said, taken him into your life, believed on him, said he's my boss, that you are saved. It is my great reassurance to you that he is an active agent in helping rearrange things in your brain to work out that salvation and to walk in greater and greater freedom and greater and greater holiness and greater and greater service to others. And it is the most incredible gift I can give you, the most incredible anchor I can give you to tell you that our great hope of salvation is actually laying down the road still when Jesus Christ will show up. And the reality of everything we've ever hoped for will come true. Would you please this morning receive the helmet of salvation which enables you to stand against the enemy? God, thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you for the way that you are so good to us, the way that you continue to work powerfully in us even when we are so frail in our minds and understanding. My prayer this morning for myself and for every one of us, that if I can say it, and I'm hoping, I'm knowing, trusting that there's people here in this room that are agreeing with this prayer, but my prayer is simply this, God, that we would, in your grace and by our choosing our willingness, we would submit our thoughts to you, our minds to you. We would lay down our high-minded way of thinking, the way we're full of ourself, the way we think too highly of ourselves, but also at the same time, the way that we uh, are too hard on ourselves, that we think we're just such a mess that is beyond saving. Whatever perspective we come from, 
that we would lay down, would surrender our thinking and allow you to inform us from your word by your Holy Spirit illuminated who you are and who we are. And according to your word, what you've done for us and what you want from us. And if there be pieces where your word does not line up with our brains and what we think, that we would have the desire, the willingness, the follow-through, and the grace that you allow us to walk in by your power to rearrange those pieces in our brain or to get rid of them or to surrender them or to put them to death or whatever other phrase we want to use from your word, that we would change our mind, that we would repent. Thank you that we have a helmet of salvation that is there for our protection. Help us every day, every moment, to receive that helmet and walk with it on our heads, to walk with Jesus in our heads, to walk with the Holy Spirit controlling our brains and our minds, that we might glorify you. And we are waiting, we are waiting, Jesus, for your return when our salvation will be sight. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.